just uh, say a word of commendation. Thank you. Uh, wonderful music team, uh, instrumentalists, and sing the vocalists. Uh, my goodness, great. Uh, all the technical. Th they, I'm telling you, wasn't that amazing? And for some of you, that's a pretty good show for a quarter. And, uh, but anyway, I tell you what, I just uh, want to give God glory. So let's give them a hand, if you would, please. Beautiful. Amazing. I just, wow. That is just incredible. Who is God? You're a God person. You go to church. You pray. You talk about God. You have a Bible. You call yourself a Christian, an evangelical Christian. Well, who is this God you say you serve? Who is he? How could we describe him? And that's the journey we're on. And we have had a glorious time. Because all that we know about God is not from eating too much pizza one night. It's not from some sacred little, you know, golden plates that came out of the ground somewhere. No, we thank the Lord that everything we know about God is from Him. He gave it to man. And it's not even oral tradition. It is, God wrote it down and it has never changed. It has been once delivered to the saints. And every time they find another manuscript somewhere, never a complete one, of course, but every time they find a partial manuscript of any book in the Bible, and it is always the same as what we have. Within a few little marks of a, a, a little a quill or whatever the case, amazing. God has given us all that we want to know about God. Now, if you were to ask somebody what is the one trait about God that perhaps would most characterize him, and I would venture to say that nearly anyone would say the same thing, that God is loving. There is no trait that is any more widely known or accepted than the fact that God is loving. For a moment, let's just imagine that you're one of those action reporters. You know, you've got your cameraman there, and you've got a microphone in your hand, and little earpiece, and you're going to go interview someone on the street, and you're going to ask them, who is God? Go down to Stockton there, go down to Lincoln Village. Uh, there's a Starbucks there. And I always see people sitting there. Someone told me they, some of those folks sit there all day into the afternoon. So let's just go over there for a few moments and get our uh, microphone and stick it in their face and say, tell me, what one attribute, if you were to describe God, what would you say about him? They would say, most likely, God is loving. Let's go to Lodi. Let's go down to School Street there and um, let's... Uh, Walk down. Did someone just hit somebody over there? And that was funny anyway. Um, that's not very loving. And um, go down to School Street. I don't know if that was a fly you were swatting away. But, uh, or was that a, did you just hit your husband? And um, you imagine the things that I see when I'm preaching. But, um, 
There's a lot of things going through this head while I'm preaching. And uh, <laughs> go to School Street and walk down there and just say, hey, tell me, who is God? I mean, if you had to describe God, what would you say? And they would look at that camera and they would say, God is loving. Everybody knows that God is loving. Even the atheists know that. Now, they may not believe it completely that there even is a God. But if there is a God, they know this, that God is love. And that's what the scripture says, 1 John 4 and verse 8. God is love. Verse 16 to the same chapter. We have known this. I mean, there's no doubt about this. We believe the love that God has to us. God is is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And so let's begin our journey as we talk about the attribute of God's love. J.I. Packer, well-known, influential, evangelical author and theologian, by the way, passed away last year, 2020, at 94. He uh, was a solid guy, a little mixed bag of theology, but I will tell you, he got it right when he said this. When we study God's wisdom, we learn about his mind. When we study God's power, we learn about his arm. When we study God's knowledge, we learn about his eyes. And when we study God's word, we learn about his mouth. But when we study about God's love, we learn about God's heart. The heart of God is the fact that he is a loving God. Now with God, that love is solid. But with mankind, sometimes love can be a fickle thing. You may have heard about the poor guy whose fiance broke off their engagement, just shredded his tender heart. He later received a letter of apology and the desire for reconciliation. Here's the letter. Dear Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say that you'll take me back, Jimmy. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please, I ask you to forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. <laughs> yeah, sometimes our love is a little uh, motivated, maybe the wrong way. But I am glad this morning to announce that God loves us regardless. And in fact, he gives us the winning ticket. It's like winning the lottery when you realize how much God loves us. And so let's pray this morning and then let's get into this very important topic and I'm sure inspirational one. Father, thank you for the opportunity. How many confirmations already, Lord, you have just given to me, to us, Lord, that this is what you want. Love lifted me. Oh, the love of God. Lord, thank you for these songs and for the testimonies already of your great love. Now, Lord, I pray that you will just uh, help us to get this. Lord, those whose hearts are heavy, may not the heaviness of grief uh, uh, keep them from hearing this word. For those who are busy or uh, distracted, Lord, may they just for a few moments give them, Holy Spirit, the ability to hear, not just with their ears, but with their heart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that they will hear you say, you love them. You so love them. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
strangely, if you're going to study on the love of God, you have to clarify some things up front. While the love of God is perhaps the most widely accepted of his attributes, it is probably the most badly misinterpreted as well. That may sound a little jarring to the thought process, but the fact is there are actually quite a few mistaken concepts about the love of God. Let's go over four of those. I'm sure there's more. First of all, there are the first wrong idea about God's love is, is that God loves every person in exactly the same way. You might say, wait a second, pastor, what? Now, folks, listen, you might assume that's true, but I want you to listen to this explanation. A man might say, I love my wife. In the same sentence, he says, I love my fellow man. And then if he's got any brains, he'll say, I love my biscuits dipped in gravy. Now, in each case, he loves something. But I think we would all have to admit that the use of that word love is different based on the relationship of a person to a thing, of a person to their mate, of a person to general mankind. Perhaps you've heard the misguided question, how can a loving God send someone to hell? Well, first of all, we need to ask ourselves, what is the relationship that God has with that person? We must define the word loving. Now, our culture defines love as this. It could not be a loving God and do that. But that's because our culture defines a loving God as one that tolerates anything. But that is certainly not a biblical definition. We just read a few moments ago, God is love for sure. And God is loving, but that does not mean he only possesses love, but he is the definition of love. Therefore, by default, listen, by default, if he defines love, then everything he does in the Bible is loving. He can't do anything unloving. However uncommon and however mistaken our human reasoning is, God can never be unloving. And since he's never unloving, if he, in his justice, has a person die, they go to hell, then it's certainly a loving thing. It's human fallacy to imagine that God is unloving because he allows a person to go to hell. The death penalty, for example, people would say that's such an unloving thing. Well, the death penalty is not unloving to those who are the victims. Actually, to the victims and to their families and to those who've had to go through that, it's actually a wonderful thing to know that that person will never do that again. Actually, it's not unloving to society to put away someone like that and someone who does that. The fact is, God is a loving God. And God never sends a person to hell. That is... He never gives them, uh, he, he, it doesn't imply that, kind of implies that God just randomly checks people and he just tosses them off the edge. No, our God only does what we have chosen. He has made the offer clear. But if we in our stubbornness and our rebellion, 
we reject God, then we certainly can't blame God. The fact is, um, we have choices. And that's what gets us in trouble. How do we end up in the mess we're in? Our choices. Some of each of us have in common. Every day we have choices. Every single moment we make choices. What to eat, what to wear, what to say, what to do, how to act. In fact, you've made dozens of choices this morning before you came here. Maybe you made a choice to get up and to eat. Others of you didn't and your stomach is kind of growling right now. Maybe you made a choice to argue with your husband or your wife or to yell at your kids or maybe spend some time with the Lord in prayer. The choices we make today are the choices that we're going to have to live with tomorrow. And so when we say that God allows a person to go to hell, it's not his choice. It is ours because God is a loving God. The second wrong idea is that somehow God's love cancels his holiness. Many people have the misinformed idea that God is a Santa Claus God. Kind of like, you know, they're going to stand before the gates of heaven and God's going to look at them and say, ah, well, you've not been that good, but you know, uh, and I probably shouldn't do this, but uh, I'm going to let you in anyway. The idea is that if no matter what I do, God accepts my actions. Friend, God has a genuine love. And in his genuine love, he cares about right and wrong. That's why good parents discipline their children. They're loving parents. And because they're loving parents, they care. And they say, no, I care too much to let you do that. And that's why sometimes God has to spank his children. It's for a good reason. And if you are a good gardener, you have to hate weeds. And so the fact is the foundation of God's love is his holiness. I say that again. The foundation of God's love actually is his attention to holiness. It cannot exist apart from it. Now there is a third wrong idea. And strangely, it is growing more and more popular, even ignorantly so I would say, inside of evangelical churches. And that is this, that God's love means that everyone will one day be saved. That means that everybody will somehow, some way, and in some way get to go to heaven. Now, I will say that actually sounds nice, and I would say I wish that was true because I love people. I hate for them to have to uh, face such a, an eternity. But the fact is, while that is a politically correct statement, it is at odds, 180-degree odds with God. Now, technically speaking, if you were to ask for a theological definition of that statement, that would be called universalism. And it's been gaining a lot of traction in the recent decade. You may remember a few years ago, if you're just a, a few years older, you might remember a fellow on the TV, he was quite popular, by the name of Carlton Pearson. Carlton Pearson was a well-known Pentecostal preacher down in Oklahoma. He uh, graduated from Oral Roberts University, Bible-believing university. Uh, he uh, would get up there and he would preach about God and about salvation. Somewhere along the line, things went, uh, he had a disconnect in his brain somewhere. And uh, he came up with the idea that everybody gets to go to heaven. And so he got off the TV. They made their church a universalist church. And today, I don't know if that church is still going, but they have this concept that 
Everybody, regardless of their faith in God, gets to go to heaven. Rob Bell wrote a book, and it's an interesting title because uh, this book even talks about what we're talking about. The title of the book is Love Wins. Love Wins. Now, we're not talking about the book Crazy Love. That's a different book. That's a good book. This book, Love Wins by Rob Bell. He uh, basically had the same concept. And here's what he said. Every sinner turns to God. Every sinner has been reconciled to God already, either in this life or in the next life. That is a mixture of universalism and uh, whatever else. But I will tell you that is 100% a lie. That is wrong. No, even a casual look at Scripture will speak of the fallacy of that demonic error. Look, Jesus would be the most loving one that we've ever known. We would all agree. Everybody who looks at the Bible would say, well, Jeremiah, he was kind of rough on people. Ezekiel, you know, some of those prophets, even Paul, he was a, you know, misogynist. He was this and that, you know, but I will tell you one thing, Jesus is loving. And I would agree, Jesus is loving. Don't know that I would agree with the other statements, but I will tell you, Jesus is a loving God. And yet Jesus said this, people, uh, regardless of their background, regardless of what they say, many people have, will miss heaven, even religious people. It doesn't make any difference to your nomination. Look what it says in Matthew 7, 22 and 7.23. These are the words of our Savior. Many will say to me in that day, Jesus is talking about a future day. He said, they're going to come up to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We preached. We said all these wonderful things that we saw. We've even cast out devils and we even believed in you. In fact, have done many good things, wonderful works. But then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. That's the words of our Savior. Those are some strong words. Now, was that based on the fact he didn't like their denomination? No, it had nothing to do with that. It's about a personal relationship with Christ. Their relationship was a theological one, or it was a works one, or it was a denominational one, but it wasn't a personal one. And that's what I said earlier. It's all about relationship with Christ. There is a fourth wrong idea about love, and that is this, and listen closely, because this actually is very poignant, one that we deal with on a regular basis, that the phrase, God is love, means the same as love is God. Some have the idea that if it's love, it's God. Well, the fact is, 1 John 4, 8 is very clear, God is love. And yes, love is at the very core of God's being. It's what causes him to reach out. If God did not love, nobody would go to heaven. But because he is loving, he's willing to allow his justice to be satisfied. It causes him to reach out and to save guilty sinners. But the second part of that phrase, love is God, is absolutely untrue. I think we would all understand that not all that passes 
For godly love is true love. Many sinful people with many sinful activities have the idea that no matter what they do, as long as it's so-called their idea of love, then it's okay. And I will tell you, and you know that, that that kind of love just does not hold any water. Sadly, tragically, pathetically, in Sacramento we have an administration that say, we care about human lives, and so they have all these rules. At the same time, they are making sure that all the abortion clinics stay open. And they allow and advocate abortion on demand as easily as someone would change socks. In fact, in California, the most recent report is 125,000 precious children were killed. One-fourth of all pregnancies end in abortion. By the way, I will remind you that is over three times what died in the virus. And if that wasn't enough, our governor openly advocates the taking of a life of a child born alive. That's our governor. He will say, kill that little baby if you don't want him. Now, my friend, they may say that's loving, but I promise you that is not loving. Not what, it is not God's it is not God's description. It is not God's definition of love. The fact is not all that people say is loving is loving. Now, if we were to find out what loving is, let's go to the greatest passage. Maybe uh, we wouldn't know that it would be, but it is actually the greatest passage on genuine love. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, if you would, and we'll stay there and use that kind of as our core this morning. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, and we are going to see the supreme manifestation of God's love. In fact, let's read verses 6 through 9 together. Uh, let's read it out loud. All right, now let's, let's do this, okay? Let's read out loud. Everybody, you got it? Okay, nice and brightly this morning, okay? It does you good to read the Bible. It's a very healthy for the rest of the people, for your own heart. All right, ready? Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse 8. But God commended his love toward us, in that yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Three major truths. Number one, the extolling of God's love. In these verses, God's talking about love, and he's going to just lay it out there. We're going to look at the scope of it, and he says, I want you to know, look at verse 6. First of all, you and I as humans are without strength. That means powerless. You and I don't have a shred of power to be able to want God. We are without strength. Verse, it also says that we are ungodly. Wow, not only am I without strength, and not only am I powerless, I am 
ungodly. That's just who I am. By birth, by practice, I am ungodly. Verse 8 says sinners. Wow. There you go. There we are. Powerless, ungodly sinners. Humanity's picture is not pretty. And yet, God loves us. The only conclusion we can have then is that God's love is not dependent upon my lovability, but 100% dependent on the nature of God. And that's why the Bible says that God is love. It doesn't say he is a loving God. It says that he is God. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Now, as far as we know, there are only three times in the Bible where it says that God is something. First of all, John 4, 24, God is spirit. Now, in the King James Version, it says is a spirit, but the little particle a is not there in the Greek language. It's supplied there by the translators, but it actually is God is spirit. Meaning, God fills this earth. Now, we're not pantheism here. We're just saying that God is everywhere. God is spirit. Therefore, he can be with us, in us. God is everywhere. Second of all, 1 John 1.5 says God is light. Now, light is often a metaphor for righteousness or goodness. Darkness signifying evil or sin. Then what this is saying is, is that God's innate quality is absolute righteousness and holiness. God is spirit. That's not, he doesn't, he's not, uh, not a spirit. He is spirit. He is, he is not just uh, a holy God. He is holy. He is light. And then finally, God is love. It's not the fact that God is loving or that God is a loving God. But the fact is that God is, in fact, love. It follows then that if we don't know God, we've never even known love. I'm going to say that again. If God is love, if you don't know God, then you've never felt genuine love. Now, you might have been loved, but, and it might be from a human level relatively deep, but it's really nothing like God love. When someone is in love with God and they are in love with you, they can express that love in a way that nobody can. My dog might like me because I feed it or I talk to it, but my dog doesn't love me, but God loves me. I don't have a dog, but if I had one, I'm sure he would love me. But, uh, but that sense of love is not genuine love. It's just it's just like a, a human love without God. Folks, if God is love, then that is an amazing fact. I will tell you, I, I, I hurt because I know that there are many people who've never felt the love of God. Now they know the doctrine of the love of God. They've had moments of emotion where they felt like God probably was a loving God. But they've never had that sense where God loves me. Despite who I am and despite anything I've done, God loves me. You know, kind of like that time when you get an answer to prayer, maybe even something real small. And it's just like a way of God just saying, hey, Tim, I love you. 
Now, I know he does the big things, but when he answers that specific little prayer, he's like, thank you. You love me. There have been many times when I've sat in my chair in more early morning and get into the Word of God, and it won't be long until God just begins to fill me with just such joy. But oftentimes, all of a sudden, and it's the Holy Spirit, I know it is, He just comes up, and He just whispers, you know, God loves you. I love you. And all of a sudden, it's like, Jesus, thank you. You love me. And that sense that God loves me, despite my attitude problems, despite my lack of this or my doing what, God loves you, Tim. And that's why when the scripture says God is love, that's why it's so amazing because I'm connecting with God. How do I know that? Because I'm feeling love. And when you feel love, you know you're feeling God. Because if it's genuine love, you're feeling God because God is love. It's not based on my lovability. He loves me regardless. He loves me because he's loving. That's why. Some people don't like that fact that, well, I have something to offer God. (laughs) Not really. In fact, no. We have nothing to offer God. Other, you'd say, well, then that... That bothers me. You kind of take away human, you know, uh, responsibility. No. The fact is that should encourage you because there's going to come a day when you're not lovable to God, but he'll still love you. In fact, that's what the verse says. God in its great love loved us while we were yet sinners. Wow. He loves sinners. Thank God. Does that sound too good to be true? In the business world, out there in our finance world, if someone says this, this, and you say, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably, you know, is. Be careful with that. But if it sounds too good to be true with God, folks, amazing that God's love comes free of charge, no strings attached. It seems to go against any instinct of humanity. That's why false religion always demands people do things. The Buddhists have an eightfold path of nobility. The Hindu have a doctrine of karma. It comes back to you. Judaism has covenants you have to obey. And Muslims say there's a code of laws and a certain number of prayers. Only Christianity dares to say God saves you merely because he loves you. Nothing that you are lovable. In fact, all you have to do is say yes to his proposal and you will go to heaven. Say yes to the dress, and Jesus will take you to heaven. That's the amazing thing about God's love, the extolling of God's love. Number two, let's see the extent of God's love. Now, let's read verse 7. Look at it. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, but peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. There are two verses here that validate, verse 7 and 8, inerrancy of Scripture. You'd say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because the doctrines here are clearly God. No human would think of these verses or of the truth behind these. They summarize the extent of God's love. First of all, his love went beyond what we would likely do even for good people. 
Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. And maybe for a good man some would dare to die. God asks the hypothetical question. How many people would you die for? Who would you die for this morning? Your parents? Your children? Of course your husband or wife, right? No side eyes now here, but... Maybe you heard about the woman who shot her husband for stepping on the floor, clean floor. A police officer runs down there, talks to her, and then gets back in his squad car and calls the station. Sergeant, I have an interesting case here. A woman shot her husband for stepping on the floor. She just mopped. Well, have you arrested her? Asked the sergeant. Well, no, not yet. Well, why? And the impatient sergeant said, that's because the floor is still wet, Sarge. Anyway, but... Um, that's a smart policeman right there. But anyway, and uh, I know you're laughing because you just about shot your husband for stepping on that floor. <laughs> Who would you die for? I know you'd die for your pastor. Amen. I'd die, die for you, pastor. I would jump out there, right? And, you know, push you out there anyway. Um, but the fact is, uh, the, the sad truth is, uh, some have had to actually. And we pray we'll never have to be in that kind of an agonizing position. But I will tell you, it's possible. And with the events that have gone on in the last few years, one could only wonder. I mean, the reason this particular verse means something is because there were people who did have to die for someone else. And it's a hard thing to take that death for somebody. But it's not totally unheard of, at least for someone you love or someone who may be a good person. But the Holy Spirit is saying, that circle is really quite small, even at that. But now notice how God's love is even further than that. God went beyond that. His love did what we would certainly never do for a bad person. Verse 8, but God commended. <laughs> I love that word. I know it's kind of an old English word, but I love it. When you commend something, what do you do? You're, you're showing it off. Folks, God is showing off here. God is showing off his love. God is demonstrating. God's saying, I love you. I'll prove it to you. While you were yet a sinner. Well, yeah, I've, I've, yeah I maybe have lied a little bit. Well, then you're a liar. Well, then I maybe have I maybe sinned a little bit. Well, then you're a sinner. <laughs> We are sinners. We're not just have sinned a little bit. We are sinners. Christ died for you as a sinner. Now, folks, sometimes we look at that verse and we emphasize the fact Christ died. And that's true. But I think the onus of this verse is clearly on the fact while we were yet sinners. I think that's supposed to shock us. What? While we're yet a sinner? He would die? Yes, while a sinner. If you had the privilege of being here for the wonderful Easter dramatic presentation, it was amazing. Everybody did such a wonderful job. But I mean, no matter, even though I know it was a, you know, just a dramatization, I still, my heart just, every time, gets so touched. When they were, when that hammer hits that ground, Bang, bang, and when he's coming down that aisle, man, I can't help but weep. Folks, the very people 
that took that hammer and slammed it in those nails into his hand. The very people that took a crown of thorns, those very people, he looked at them. And while they were doing it, he said, I love you. I love you. And as they were pounding that crown of thorns on his head, he looked down and said, I love you. And when that man took a spear and was ready to pierce his side, he said, I love you. And those people that were mocking him, come down from the cross. And while they were screaming, he said, I love you. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. He loves us. In this crazy mixed up world, people say, where's the love of God? No justice, no peace. My friend, if you want to know justice, if you want to know the love of God, then just look to the cross. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? That beautiful piece. They said, Lord, how much do you love me? This much, he said. He stretched out his arms. He bowed his head. And he died. The great well-known evangelist Dwight Moody said, just take up the subject of love in the Bible. Open it up and the love of God will flow out. And it does. The extolling of God's love, the extent of God's love, and now finally the extravagance of God's love. Look at verse 9. Much more. <laughs> now as much as we've already seen, guess what? There's much more, not just more, much more, much more. Yes, there's even more. There are four ways God's love is extravagant. Number one, the love of God is uninfluenced. First John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. He doesn't love us because we responded in love. We love him because he loves us. Before there was a particle of love in me, God loved me. His love is uninfluenced by my behavior. Number two, the love of God is unending. Just as God has no beginning and no ending, his love has none. How clear the testimony of that great prophet, that weeping prophet, Jeremiah, when he encouraged the downtrodden people. In chapter 31 and verse 3 of Jeremiah, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me. Brethren, sisters, listen to me. People of Israel, listen to me. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I haven't forgotten you. You'll come back to the land. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. I read the words on a Hallmark card. I read those words that reflects, I think, the sentiment about love in our times. Here was the words on that Hallmark card. I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. And that's just about the level of the love in this world. We have today, but I can't promise you about tomorrow. Wow, that's tragic. God says, I've got you today, and I've got you covered tomorrow, and I will tell you in the eternity to come, I will always love you. There'll never be a time I don't love you. It is unending, uninfluenced. And thirdly, it is unbelievable.
limited. Everything about God's unlimited is wisdom, his power, his mercy. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy, his great love, wherewith he has loved us. Great love. That's why I love John 3.16 so much. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. He didn't have to put the word so in there. He could have just said, God loved the world. We would have got it. But he wanted us to know he so loved the world. When someone looks at you and says, I love you, boy, that's, I love that. That's great. I love it. I love it when some brother in Christ says, Pastor, I love you. I love it when someone gives a text and says, Pastor, I love you, or a wonderful email, or someone you love, or a little grandbaby says, I love you, Papa. I love you, and I love you. But when someone looks at you and says, I so love you. I so love you. That's someone saying, hey, this is some serious love going on here. God says, I so love you. My heart hurts. Because I know there are people, honestly, who think right now, honestly, there's probably nobody that loves me. Oh, they may want something from me or they have a level of friendship for me or you know whatever we have a relationship but honestly if I had to be honest about this whole thing I couldn't say I feel genuinely deeply loved by anybody and if that's the case my heart hurts for you because I, I just can't imagine such a tragic and sad situation and it's probably not the case. Maybe have more than uh, loves than you might imagine. And I will tell you, I love you. But if, even if that was all the case, when you woke up this morning, if you went and talked to Jesus, and you just talked to him for a few moments, he would have said to you, I so love you. It is unlimited, the kind of love I have for you. And then finally, it is unchanging. The very night Jesus was betrayed, they said, show us the Father. Another disciple cursed him, and every one of them forsook him. And what did Jesus do about that? John 13 and verse 1, his disciples who he had given himself for, who had seen him in every situation only do the right thing. And then they just turned their back on him. John 13 and verse 1, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Absolutely unlimited and unending. He will never stop loving you. But, oh, pastor, you just don't know what I've done. I don't know. And maybe I never will. But there is no immorality. There is no action. There is nothing that you have ever done where if you were to go to God and he would tell you and remind you, he loves you. He so loves you. You'd say, well, then what should I do? In light of all these things, thank God he doesn't just 
leave us hanging. God said, uh, here's what I ask. In light of the great love that I have for you, here's what I ask from you. Romans 13, 10, love. And you will fulfill everything the Bible says. Romans 13, 10, love is the fulfillment of the law. It is the fulfillment of everything. If you will love God, and if you will love man like I love, you will just be so close to my love. A few moments ago, we sang the beautiful chorus. Before we, I want to read that last verse because it's so beautiful. Many of you know that uh, this past uh, week, the Armenians uh, celebrated, uh, or maybe I should say commemorated, would be a better word, the terrible genocide that was, took place on their land. I will say I'm grateful for our president that he acknowledged that. One of the most atrocities of modern society, uh, very similar to the, all the Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. A few years ago in Armenia, there was, a, you may remember, in eight, 1989, there was a terrible earthquake almost flattening the entire country. Over 30,000 people in less than four minutes died. In his book, He Still Moves Stones, Max Licato has this story. And I thought it was a great story to kind of remind us of the kind of love that God has for us. It's about the loving heart of a father. In the midst of chaos and destruction, he rushed to his son's school. But instead of a school, he found a shapeless heap of rubble. Imagine what went through his mind in the case of his father, seeing the sight of the rubble in the room that made him spring to action. He ran to the back corner of the building where his son's class used to be and began to dig. What hope did he have? What were the chances that his son might have survived? But as he began to dig, well-meaning parents tried to pull him out of the rubble, saying, it's too late. They're dead. You can't help. Go home. There's nothing you can do. The fire chief tried to pull him out of the rubble. Fires and explosions are happening everywhere. You're in danger. Go home. Finally, the police said, it's over. You're, you need to go home. But his father continued to dig. He said, no, I'm going to find him. Eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, and then on the 38th hour, he pulled back a boulder and heard his son's voice as he saw his face and screamed, Armand! And back came the words, Dad, I told them, I told the other kids that if you were still alive, you would save me. You promised me, Dad. You promised me you would always be there for me. And you did it, Dad. You came for me. I think I could say the same words. Jesus came back for you because he loves you. The song we sang just a few moments ago. It's a beautiful song written by Frederick M. Lehman. He immigrated from Germany in the 1800s. A wonderful Nazarene minister, wrote many songs. One day he heard the sermon on the love of God. 
He wrote the first two verses. The last verse, however, he adopted and took from a legend. The words were scrabbled, excuse me, scribbled in the old world on a wall in the cell of a man who had been falsely accused and put aside in an asylum. After he died, they discovered on the walls these words, perhaps the most amazing words ever written about the love of God. The third verse we sang a few moments ago. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God? we would have to drain the ocean dry. Nor could a scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And so this morning we close with those words. And while we close the message, the truth I trust will not be closed in your heart. But in fact, it will be more alive than ever. Someday, those of you that have trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be in eternity and you're going to say, he loves me. That's why I'm here. I'm here because he wouldn't let me die. He kept searching. He loves me and he'll never stop, friend. Jesus loves you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Now it's your opportunity. If God loves you so much,